uh, invited them here. Uh, that was Randy Spencer days. This building didn't exist. It was over in the other side. And it was just, things have changed quite a bit, and I believe for the better. Uh, around nine years ago, actually nine years ago on the 14th, we'll be married. But uh, maybe around 10 years ago, nine, 10 years, somewhere in there, I was sitting right back there in that back corner with my uh, nephew, Jacob, uh, at the Christmas Eve service. And a young lady sitting right about there stood up and walked across the room. And, um, and I looked at her and thought to myself, dang, she's fine. And um, <laughs> it's a literal thought. That's what went through my head. And I'm just not here to lie to you. And uh, she was going to the bathroom, which I learned would be a pattern for the rest of our lives. And... <laughs> Um, and she, uh, I remembered her from when I was in youth. I was living in Virginia at the time, and I ran out real quick uh, after the service, caught her and talked to her, and then through some rather clever Facebook sleuthing, I found her, and, uh, and we, uh, now here we are married with three little ones. So, uh, so this church gave me a lot, and it's been, it's been good to me. That's me. Uh, so... Um, from way back when with hair and um, stuff. So yeah, we're, that was on a mission trip, I think. Was that Bolivia? Is that Bolivia? I think so. Yeah, that's Bolivia for sure. Is Brendan in that picture? He should be there somewhere. Uh, he, he's in the mix somewhere. Yeah, so anyway, uh, you know, uh, this, this church gave me a ton of stuff, and it's been good to me. Uh, so it's an honor for me to be able to come back to where I found faith in Jesus Christ. Back in that room back there, it wasn't the baptismal room then. It was like the kids' Sunday school room during tent meeting. And Lynn Spencer led me to Jesus Christ right there. And, and so, so this, this has been, uh, it's, just, it's just good for me to come back. And I think the church should be a place where, you know, you, you gain a lot of things. I don't know if a wife is the thing you'll necessarily get when you go to church, but maybe, uh, um, may, I know you do like food ministry, so maybe you can get uh, married at a, I don't know. Um, I, I made a promise to Trent that I wouldn't say anything he'd have to clean up later. And I think I've already broken that. So, um, but I'm, I'm just glad to be here. It's, a, it's, it, it's good for my soul. It brings me joy. And that's what I'm speaking on this morning is joy. Uh, and uh, I, I think the church should be a place where family comes together and where, where, where you're able, to, uh, able to, to find Christ, grow in Christ, move towards Jesus. Like, I, raise your hand if someone in the church is closer to you than your literal family that you were born into. Right, and that's how the church is really created. It becomes a new fi- new family for you that you you can be vulnerable with and, and open up to these people and grow together with them. That's that's how the church is made, and it's uh, and uh, this was a place like that for me. Uh, now, something else I'd like to I have a little bit of beef with you, and that is that you put me after Hollis, and that like listen, if this was baseball, Hollis bats fourth. Right, like that man was a heavy hitter, and it was a. If you missed last week's sermon on love, it was phenomenal, and you need to go back and listen to it. One of the best I think I've ever heard. Uh, now, full disclosure: Trent asked me what week I wanted, and I picked this one. Um, but that's not the point. The point is that uh, he could have warned me that Hollis was going first, and um, 
and the man was awesome. It was a fantastic, very, very good sermon. Go back and listen to it if you didn't get a chance. I'm going to give you a little bit of a few of his points because I need, for joy to really take root, I need to springboard off of love. And, and, uh, and I want to point us backwards to what uh, Hollis spoke on, uh, what Paul wrote in Galatians, setting love as the foundation for the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and something I want to point out, too, as we begin this, is that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. Like, like it's not a plural, plurality of things that you need to work on these individual traits. It's singular in that if you are in relationship with Christ, these things will be evident in you, right? And, and they come as a package. You know, this is what I want us to see. They all come together. Because you'll hear people say this, like, I've got love figured out. I just need to be more patient. Right? You hear that? You, you've heard that? Or I just need to be more kind. I've got love figured out. I just need to be more. And they'll point to a different fruit of the Spirit, which is silly on its face because if you have love figured out, you will be patient because love is patient. Right? And, and so we need to see that these things all come together in one chunk and they all come together as one piece. And, and I, what I don't want you to do, what I, my fear for you would be, is that you would try and through religious observance, rote religious observance, or just white knuckle discipline, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a patient person and I'm going to be loving. And, you know, like we get this thing. I'm going to have joy, dang it. You know, and like we get this in our brains where we just have to, I'm going to make it happen. And you begin to try and create it in yourself through discipline or through religious observance, when in reality, it is a result of the work of the Spirit of God in your life. You don't get there by forcing it upon yourself. You get close to the Spirit of God, and He will bring this fruit about in you. Because the only thing you will find through rote religious observance and through white-knuckled discipline is either self-righteousness at best or despair at worst. When you find yourself failing and you can't be joyful. And, th and this is, I bring this up because joy is one of the areas where we will try and force it the most. That if, like, like you see that in your own life, like I just need to find some kind of happiness or I need to find some kind of joy in my life. And you start to seek after ways that you can be joyful. And then on top of this, like, I, think, I think seeking through religious observance to try and find joy is one of the most heartless masters you will ever fall under. As you seek to, to try and drum this up and muster this up in yourself, you'll find yourself falling into more and more despair because you will fail at it. So more often than not, we break down this fruit is... Um, we try and break down a particular trait and say, I want to work on that trait instead of coming back and just working on my relationship with Jesus Christ, spending time with him, loving Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbor like myself. If I do those things, joy follows. So when we approach the fruit, remember, they're not something you create in yourself. It's a work of God in you. And as, uh, and as we seek the fruit of the Spirit, we must also be cautious not to glorify the fruit itself, but to glorify the giver. Because we, we can get into that habit where it's, I, I'm, I'm glorifying the fruit itself and not the giver of the fruit. You know, we, 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 we miss where the Word tells us that God is love, and we flip that over and make love God. 
or we make joy God, we make patience God, and we miss the giver. So this is not to re-preach Hollis's sermon, he did a better job than me, but to point to do a couple of things, the stepping stones or the springboard that I want us to jump off of into love, or into joy, sorry, off of love. All right, Matthew 13, you got your Bible with you, go ahead and open that up, um, the book of Matthew chapter 13. If not, it'll be on the screen and you can catch it there. All right, book of Matthew chapter 13. I know what you're thinking. We're in Galatians. You know that, right? (laughs) I can see it on your face. You're like, why are we in Matthew when we're supposed to be in Galatians? We'll get there. Just hold on. Matthew chapter 13. Look at the third verse. And he says this. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and, they, uh, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. And other seeds fell on good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So as we approach the fruit of the Spirit, I think you know, we, we can kind of get into a place where we believe, or as we read through that passage, and, uh, and we picture this in our lives, how does this look in our lives, we, we start to think, So I'm the tree, I'm the plant, and God is producing these fruits in me. Like, I'm going to bring these things to fruit. And I don't want you to see it that way. What I want you to see, there's a couple ways that Scripture makes an analogy to plants and to the gospel. And, And one is, the first one is the thought I just described. John 15 lays that out. I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? You know, Jesus lays that idea out that, that we, we are the plant that is bringing forth fruit. Another would be Matthew 7 where Jesus warns us that uh, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You know, that you can see what it's producing and know what the tree is. And, and then there's another type of analogy that I believe Paul is pointing us to here, where he speaks of us as the soil and he is the plant that produces fruit. So we are not the plant, he's the plant. We are the soil in which he is deeply rooted. And the more we root Christ into our lives, the more of the fruit of the Spirit will come. From us. Let me show you what I mean. So look at, uh, go to the book of Galatians. Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I'll give you a sec. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do if you but if you are led by the spirit you're not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like these i warn you and i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god so this is the fruit of you 
Like the fruit that you will produce, is, he just listed that out. So uh, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what kind of good home you were raised up in or, or how many things you have overcome in your life or where you started. I don't care if you're a good person, how much you've changed over the years. None of that matters. This is the fruit of your flesh. If you're producing it in your own life, this is what you're making. And it's not your fault. It's the kind of tree you are. This is what you produce in your flesh. You will make this. It's not because you want to produce it. It's because that's what you produce. You will know a tree by its fruit. In your flesh, you will only ever produce this. The Lord alone produces good fruit in you. That's why in Isaiah 64, he says that all of our righteousness is filthy rags to him. That's why even the Apostle Paul laments, I believe it's in the book of Romans, that, uh, that, that he doesn't do the things he wants to do, but he does the things he doesn't want to do. That in his flesh, all he can produce is evil. And only the Spirit of God can produce good things in us. Look at verse 22 in the book of Ephesians. He'll, he'll continue on there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And this is why he continues on when he, when, as he's making this point. As he says to you in verse 24, I lost it. Okay, found it. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. So our job is not to muster up the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. Our job is to put to death the flesh so the Spirit of God can grow. Is that we crucify the flesh. We, we uproot our own plant so that Jesus grows in our place. And he produces fruit in our lives. And, and, uh, um, and I, I bring this up because it's so important that we see that it's not on me to create the fruit of joy in my own life. It's not my responsibility to make myself joyful. That comes from the spirit of God. So in this analogy of the fruit, you are not the tree, you're the soil. Jesus is the tree who produces fruit. And here's why these distinctions matter. It's because we will, it, few things will we try and produce in our own lives like we will joy. Few things are we going to try and muster up and create in ourselves like joy. And we need to be about the work of putting ourselves to death, denying ourselves so that we can live to Jesus Christ and watch him miraculously create joy in us. So we stop putting our energy into mustering up more and more joy and start putting our energy into submission to Jesus and obedience to his commands and we find ourselves walking in joy but we get it into our heads that we got to make ourselves joyful. And that's where we find ourselves. And when we can't, ha and, and this is, listen, you, I'm going to say this and hopefully it makes sense to you because you'll look at other people's lives and hopefully not your own, but you'll look at people's lives and you'll see this progression happen. When I can't have joy, I'll settle for happiness. And when happiness is gone, I'll settle for pleasure. And when pleasure doesn't work, I've, I have found myself enslaved to the same thing that Jesus saved me from, right? 
and you can watch that progression happen. And it, so I want to break down those three. I want to break down pleasure and happiness and joy and talk through how the two, happiness and pleasure, look very similar and joy is just categorically different and walk through that. So uh, now that my introduction's done, we can get going. Pleasure comes from submission to my own desires, that when I submit myself to my desires, I may find myself experiencing pleasure. Um, Pleasure makes you a promise, and it promises it'll make you happy, but it doesn't, right? And this is one of the things you'll see that's very different between pleasure, happiness, and joy, is that pleasure and happiness have no problem lying to you, and joy doesn't. Joy's always honest. So just like he said in Galatians uh, 5.16 when he said that we seek after our desires to gratify them. Now that word gratify literally means to pay tribute to. That when I'm seeking after my own pleasures, it's not me gaining, I'm giving something up. And you see that, don't you? That when I chase after my desires, I'm giving things up. I'm giving away something about myself. I'm paying tribute to it and receiving nothing back because the well actually you are receiving something conflict when you seek pleasure conflict is the result because listen uh, you know if the 80 or so folks in this room all are seeking their own desires we're going to conflict with each other aren't we my desires are going to conflict with yours and here's what's here's the reality only one of us can win and i have the microphone Right? I mean, like only one of us gets to win that battle. Only one of us gets to have the thing that we desire. So if we're going through life seeking our own desires and the rest of the planet is going through life seeking its desires, we will have nothing but conflict. Can you see that in the world today? Do you turn the TV off because all you see is that? A group of people seeking their own pleasures because it promised to make them happy and it won't. And we can watch our world and our society unravel in front of our eyes because we're seeking pleasure and our own desires. So uh, pleasure is nothing like joy because in pleasure we find entrapment and in joy we find freedom. Now, to give you an example of this, when I'm stressed... And I know what you're thinking. How could you be stressed? You only work one day a week. And that would be a good point. So um, it's a 60-hour it's a day, but it's, a, it's just one day. So um, when I get stressed, I carry that stress in the upper middle of my back. Anyone else? Is that you? Where do you carry yours? Anyone else? In your neck? Your neck? Yeah. Shoulders? Where was yours? Shoulders. Shoulders? Yeah. So here's what happens to me. From mid-back to the base of my neck tightens up and it doesn't, did you know your rib cage needs to flex so you can breathe? Well, when that happens, I can't breathe. Now, maybe you're a doctor here and you're like, you got a bigger problem. And that's probably true. Um, (laughs) But what I have found is if I go to the chiropractor and he does the painful work of adjusting and moving and, and separating muscles out and like getting some things ironed out. And he puts the electronic machine on me. So it, it, this is what my chiropractor visit looks like. I spend about 15, 20 minutes under the e where that thing like just hits you with electric shock. You know what I'm talking about? 
a good time, and then uh, he will put heat on for a chunk of time, and then he'll massage out the muscles, and then he'll start to crack and put things back into place. That's my chiropractor visit. Uh, Dr. Todd Bish, he's fantastic. Okay, so uh, anyway, he gets me right where I'm supposed to be. None of it's enjoyable. But afterwards, I feel better. I walk out in freedom. I can breathe. I can walk to my truck without having to take a break. Because I went through the work and I let him do what he had to do and he had to move what he needed to move and adjust what he needed to, do, to adjust so that I would, be have, so I would have the freedom to breathe. Hebrews chapter 12 puts it this way. I'll read it for you real quick. Hebrews 12, verse 11, he says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. When we hear discipline, you hear punishment, right? That what you hear? Anyone? Punishment's like the smallest part of discipline. Uh, you know, we discipline our children. We, uh, we, we punish them at times. Um, they're... There's seven, six, and two, so some of them get punished a bunch. And, um, but we also discipline, we discipline them to brush their teeth. We discipline them to say please and thank you. We discipline them to pick up their room and to make their beds. We discipline them in the way that they should live. And it seems painful at the time, at least you would assume so, by the, when they throw themselves on the floor because I asked them to pick up their clothes. Um, you know, it seems like they're experiencing pain, but the reality is, is it's just discipline. It's us trying to put things in their proper places in their little lives. Because like, yes, it's frustrating. I'm sure as a six-year-old, when you, you're so busy to brush your teeth at night, but a cavity hurts more, Right. So the discipline, although it's not comfortable in the moment, yields good fruit. And this is what I want us to see. If we're going to be people who have joyful lives, one of the things we have to learn early is to love the discipline of God. That when God disciplines, when he adjusts, when he takes pieces of our life and pulls them out and puts them out, and he puts his spirit in us, and when he's beginning to do his work of adjusting us, that we learn to love that discipline. And if we can learn to love the discipline of the Lord as he strips away our desires and gives us new ones, although painful in the moment, yields good fruit of righteousness. Pleasure promises happiness and never delivers it. Happiness is one of the things we also confuse with joy, but they are completely different. Happiness is a feeling and feelings change fast. Anyone here, feelings change fast? Uh, you know, this, right now, this is, just, this is just reality. Right now, you could be the happiest you've ever been, and your phone would ring in your pocket and change that, right? And my happiness would also be gone because you didn't silence your phone before church. <laughs> happiness has a way of needing constant renewal, constant buildup constant refreshment. Have you ever had a thing that made you really, really happy and then after a few months it just doesn't anymore? Right? That you find yourself constantly having to seek something else to bring you happiness? Happiness also has no problem lying to you 
telling you it will give you satisfaction and fulfillment and not delivering on that promise. Think about it this way. How many times have your desires lied to you? How many times have your desires promised you something and not given that thing to you? You think the guy like who's homeless sitting on the street looking for his next fix isn't believing the lie that if he could just have that drug, it would make him fulfilled and happy and joyful and satisfied. How many times has that desire told him this? You can quit anytime you want. And it's not true. Bless you. How many times has happiness been stolen from you? I mean, you know, think about the amount of people in this room. I have to assume some of you have been promised forever by someone only for them to leave you when something better came along or something better in their mind at least. How many times have your feelings told you that if you would just give in to them, then your life would even out and you'd be stable? How many times have you been angry only to find out that you were the one that was wrong? Is that anyone? Yeah? Everyone who's married is like, yeah, that was me. Now, at that point, for our married couples, what do you do? Do you try and get out of the fight without them realizing you're wrong? Like, have you ever, you've been there. You're mid-fight with your wife, and you're like, oh, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah, Taylor Swift fans in the room. All right. Um, I'm a little embarrassed that I'm one. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, at least it's not Justin Bieber. We're all right. So. But your feelings tell you that they're going to deliver something to you, and they don't. Because your feelings have no problem lying to you. And that's why joy is not a feeling. And I can't tell you how joy feels because joy is not a feeling. Because the reality is, is you could be in deep sorrow and joyful at the same time. In fact, I would argue this, that for the follower of Jesus Christ, sorrow and joy hold hands quite often and go together quite often. I, I have, I call it a privilege and I will always call it a privilege when I am invited into the room while, and it's one of the privileges of a pastor to be invited into the room while a loved one passes away and to have the family want you, your presence there. So uh, I've been in the room several times while that happened. And one in particular, a lady by the name of Carol was passing and my, a friend of mine and I, one of our, our uh, elders at the church and, um, and myself were there as she was passing on and, um, and the entire family's there, and we're talking and praying and spending time together. And uh, one of the nurses came by and said, oh, wow, I can't believe so much family's here. And, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, why are you shocked by that? Because it was just interesting to me that she would say that. And she said, well, you, mu- you guys must be Christians. And then I'm really intrigued because I'm like, okay, how do you know? And she said, because people that aren't Christians don't stick around. They can't handle it. But in Christ, we rejoice because one day we'll see Carol again. It hurt. There were tears. There was sadness and sorrow, but joy. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is the result of the work of the Spirit of God in your life. Joy is an outcome. It's the outcome of being in the presence of Jesus Christ. 
And you might, be in a, you might be in a period right now of deep sorrow, but the presence of Jesus brings you joy. It won't necessarily look like smiles. Maybe your joy looks like tears. But in Christ, you can have joy in the midst of difficult times. There's a lot of things that bring me joy, but it doesn't look joyful. You ever, you ever stop and think about what Jesus did for you on the cross? That when he, when he died on behalf of your sin so that you wouldn't, so you could be gifted with his righteousness and he took your sin upon himself? Doesn't make me happy. Pretty joyful about it though. Now I'm, an, I'm a very even emotional person. Like I, I don't get too happy. I don't get real sad. I just kind of run it at an even level. So when my family found out that I was preaching on joy, they're like, can you show us joy? Like for real you like, are going to be the one. And, and yes, because for me, it, 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 I, the way I see this as I read through scripture is that I find joy is the quiet confidence in the presence of Jesus Christ. That he will walk with me no matter what I'm going through, no matter how, like, like you know what brings me joy is that since I'm too boneheaded to be wise and stop sinning, Jesus' mercy is new every morning. I'm not happy that I'm too dumb, but I'm pretty joyful that his mercy's there. Maybe you lost a loved one who's now with the Lord and there's sorrow but joy at the same time. Because being in the presence of Christ brings joy. And it won't look like happiness. It actually won't look like anything else. The only way I could describe it was a quiet confidence that Jesus Christ is there. And that's joy. Joy is the outcome, not just of learning to love the discipline of Jesus Christ, but also joy comes from doing the things that brings the Lord joy. So as you're reading your Bible and you're going through the pages, would you just mark down the things it talks about that Jesus delights in? And then get about that. Spend your time doing the things that bring Jesus joy. Because I have found that when I reject those things, it brings me despair. It brings me trouble. It hurts. But the more I shift my life to see where I am finding joy in the things that brings God joy, that he produces that fruit in my life. You know, um, as it turns out, not super popular to preach on submission and obedience to Jesus. And if I could just kind of lay something out for you as you consider this, if you're kind of in a place where you're like, because uh, like Jacob said, you might, you, we don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus. You do. But when it comes to obedience to God and obedience to his commands, there's two prerequisites that we put on that the word of God doesn't. That's understanding and agreement. That when he lays a command before us, and, and listen, I want you to see this Galatians 5 as a command. He's commanded you to be joyful. And it doesn't, I don't have to understand why he said what he said for me to be obedient to it, right? We work on this with our son, our son, our oldest son, um, is a why person. Anyone have that person in their life? Anything you say, the next word is why, right? Anyone? Yeah. So we, this is what we tell him. Obey first, ask later. 
right? You know, uh, when he, we say, because, hey, we need you to go pick up your room real quick. Why? Can you just listen to me? You know, and, and that's just not the, not the right answer. So we say, buddy, why don't you obey first? And then you can ask why, why on the backside. Because why is not a prerequisite to being obedient. And also, nowhere in Scripture does it say, obey these commands if you agree with them. Because at that point, you're God and he's not. God didn't ask your permission before he gave you a command. So understanding and and agreement are not prereqs to obedience. I read this somewhere, and I can't remember where, so now it's mine. Um, (laughs) I've looked for it and can't find it, so once again, it is now mine. Um, I've also, uh, some of my favorite authors use their first initials and then their last name, so like, you know, C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, or uh, R.C. Sproul, you know, some of these great men of God, and so I don't know what it takes to be able to label yourself that way. like, I want to be T.L. Schweitzer. That's what I would desire. And, um, like, I don't know if you need to go on a quest and win that or, like, how that plays out. But um, as it turns out, you can just call yourself that and no one can do anything about it. So um, this is a quote from T.L. Schweitzer. Um, <laughs> Could it be that we struggle to understand God's word because we're seeking to understand it with no intention of being obedient? Like, could it be that God's not giving us understanding because we don't want to obey if, even if we did? Obedience comes first. And we will find joy in obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus has written his moral law for us to obey. Because he knows that in our obedience, it roots Jesus deeper into our lives and he will produce more fruit. You want to see joy? Find yourself in obedience. I'm going to have the worship team come up as we close out. Um, Joy is produced by having the Holy Spirit in his rightful place on the throne in your life. I've lived a decent amount of my life as if the Lord has made no demands upon me and have found it leave me empty. I've come to find that I receive joy when Jesus is present. Not that life is easier, not that it's perfect. In fact, many times it makes it harder. But what I have found is great joy in the presence of my Savior. It's joyful, incorruptible, cannot be stolen away from me, never lies to me. Can't be lost in circumstance, it's not lost in trouble. Oh, I was supposed to also say that the care people should come to. Okay. I made a promise that I would write that down and then I didn't. So, but when Jesus is deeply rooted in my life, joy is the natural outcome of that because a tree is known by its fruits and Jesus produces joy. So when I submit my life to Christ, I find myself living in more joy. I don't do that in myself. Jesus does it in me. And when Jesus is deeply rooted in me, I can take this inventory 
without fear. So here, I'm just going to lead you through a few things. Where am I seeking my own desires? Ask yourself that. Where do I seek my own desires? Where am I seeking to make my own happiness? Where am I trying to create joy in myself? What am I refusing to submit to Christ? If you're having trouble with that one, um, I would ask you to look at what is it that I don't agree with that he said, or what is it that I don't understand? And maybe those two would help you move. Start there. And as you begin, go through your day consciously submitting yourself to Christ. Here's just a little trick that I do uh, when I find myself trying to do things on my own. I ask Jesus for permission to do everything. Lord, is it all right if I get up this morning? Is it okay if I go downstairs? Is it okay if I eat breakfast? Is it okay if I get a shower? Is it okay? Like, you know, and I start asking him for permission before I do anything. And it's just a reminder to me that as a servant of Jesus, I tell our church this, you are not Christians. That's not your religion. You are servants of Christ. And servants don't get say in what they do. Jesus is master. I follow him. So I ask for permission before I do anything. And it's just a, a little, it's, it's almost juvenile. It's pretty juvenile. Um, but it's a reminder for my heart that if I'm going to call myself a follower of Christ, I better follow him every now and then. In the book of James, I'll close out on this. James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Joy is found in the knowledge that God is with you. Joy is found when you see his faithfulness on display before you time. And again, look backward through your life. What do you see but the faithfulness of Jesus Christ? Even when you didn't realize it was Jesus being faithful to you. And is received in this relationship with Jesus. So do this. If you, would, if you want a life that is marked by joy, don't pursue joy. Pursue Jesus, and joy will follow. Go ahead.